Welcome to the latest Armchair Trader podcast. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about exchange-traded funds or ETFs, which you may have heard quite a lot about, but may not really uh, properly understand what all the fuss is about. Um, this week, we've got Simon Mott from Track Insight on the podcast, who is, uh, I think it's fair to say, something of a, an expert on ETFs as funds. And uh, what I thought we'd do is take the opportunity to just go through what ETFs are, um, why that market is expanding, and um, what the opportunities are for uh, private investors and also fund managers who are interested in accessing this market. Uh, so welcome welcome to the show, Simon. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks for inviting me on. No probs. So ETFs, they've been around for a while, otherwise obviously known as exchange-traded funds. Can you just give us a basic overview of, of exactly what they are? Yeah, sure. And I think there's a little bit of a history lesson here because um, back in 1975, there was, a, there was a guy who started a small company that some of your listeners may have heard of. It's called uh, Vanguard. And this guy, his name is Jack Bogle. And in 1975, he did something which was really quite revolutionary, which was created the first index tracking mutual fund. And this tracked the S&P 500 index. Prior to that, most fund-based investment had been around active management strategies. So smart stock pickers putting together different combinations of funds that they thought were going to perform well. But uh, Jack Bogle thought, you know, a great idea would be in order to let people buy an entire market. Um, and that was really the kind of genesis point for index investing. Now, fast forward to about 20 years ago, uh, and we saw the advent of exchange traded funds, which took that concept really to the next level. So prior to that, you could buy an index based mutual fund. And mutual funds, as probably most of your listeners know, you know, trade once a day after the market closes. They're not very flexible. Uh, they often have quite high fees. They often have quite low levels of liquidity. But what exchange traded funds did was take that index investing concept and turn it into a much more kind of share trading experience. So ETFs can really be thought of as index funds that trade on exchange in real time like a share. And you can hold them in a brokerage account and you can trade them intraday. So that on a very basic level is what an ETF is. It allows you to buy an index through your brokerage account at any time your local exchange is open. Most people would associate these ones with the very popular stock market indexes like the, you know, the FTSE or the S&P 500. But uh, they're, they're a little bit more than that, aren't they? I mean, I do remember when I was first writing about them, as you say, 20 years ago, um, when I actually had the opportunity once to meet Jack Bogle and the, the, the whole idea of the ETF was very new, they were very much just, you know, this is a great way to trade the index or invest in the index, track the FTSE uh, 100. I guess one of the big arguments there was that it, it, they tracked the index pretty accurately and they did it at a lower price point than a lot of other funds that were using the, the say, for example, the FTSE 100 as a benchmark. Yeah, I think that's entirely true. I think you raise a number of kind of interesting kind of points there. I mean, first of all, is around exposures. So 
Yeah, the first the first ETFs are around those big kind of headline indexes, you know, the CAC, the FTSE, S and P five hundred, and and so on. But there are now more than six thousand ETFs in the world on almost every major stock exchange on every continent. I mean, that's a phenomenal amount of product that's been launched into the market in a twenty year period, and they've really gone beyond that headline index exposure into a whole load of other areas so you can buy etfs that trade or that track rather a particular geographic region or a specific country you can buy etfs that track a specific sector uh, or or a theme uh, they cover equities they cover fixed income they cover commodities so the real advantage from an investor's point of view is that you've got a massive amount of choice in the way that you can now access performance of different markets or, or, or sections of markets. The second point, which I think is entirely accurate, is the cost, right? ETFs have really driven down the cost of investing. You can buy an ETF or you can trade an ETF for the same cost that you can trade a, an individual share in most cases. And when you look at the management fees of a uh, typical mutual fund or a typical active fund you're often talking in the you know one percent plus per year territory but etfs are typically priced in basis points and, and some etfs you can buy as low as six basis points per year so it's really a phenomenal cost saving for the investor it puts a lot of money back into their pocket to, to work back for them so yeah this has been probably why they've been such a disruptive instrument and somewhat controversial at the same time because obviously you know you are stealing somebody's lunch when you um when you when you offer that kind of uh, that kind of product but i think what's more more interesting is that now what we're seeing is that they, this concept has really been taken further and so instead of tracking what we could consider vanilla indexes or or, or major kind of stock market indexes or sectors People are now creating indices which track particular themes. ESG or environmental is a is a really big one. I'm sure we'll we'll come on and talk about that a little bit more. But also slightly more kind of esoteric areas like cloud technology or even medical marijuana is being offered in an ETF format. So for investors, you don't need to go and look at a particular stock in order to get exposure to something that you see in the news or something that you think is interesting you know, there's very likely to be an ETF out there, which will give you a real diverse exposure to a number of companies um, that are part of that theme. And you can do that in a single trade at a pretty low cost. And I think that's been really part of the part of the appeal and part of the reason why they've grown now. And there's around $7 trillion with a T invested in ETFs globally. So it's really been a, a major, major success story. And I guess from the investor's point of view, we, I mean, we keep seeing headlines about the, the, the huge number of active fund managers who are underperforming their benchmark. The idea of, of paying less money to buy a fund that will actually track that benchmark, say, give, say the FTSE 100 more closely, um, that seems to be quite a compelling, compelling selling point. Yeah, so for a number of years, I mean, investing really wasn't that exciting. I mean, people were either buying funds or they were trading individual stocks and they were trying to build their portfolio that way. But since ETFs have really proliferated into all these kind of interesting uh, themes and niches and global exposures, it, it gives the chance for people to make portfolios great again. 
in many markets, more than three quarters of active managers are, are underperforming the benchmark. Um, you know, probably one of the most scandalous things in the last 18 months was Neil Woodford. Um, a lot of people will be familiar with uh, with what happened there. But, you know, this this um, uh, this guy was exposed to some very illiquid securities, wasn't uh, published or people, you know, investors in his funds weren't really aware. Of, you know, that guy had to charge very, very high management fees while his investors were getting their faces ripped off um, and losing a ton of money. So I think there is a degree of skepticism, the kind of value of active management broadly. There has been a big shift into what we would call passive or index tracking investments and ETFs are part of that broader theme. But there is a flip side to that, which is, you know, there are some really high quality active managers out there and who are delivering value and who are performing well and who are giving investors kind of what that you know what they were sold what's interesting is they're now adopting etfs as a way to deliver those strategies to their investors so instead of having to go through that quite cumbersome time-consuming kind of costly subscription process when you want to invest in a, in a in a traditional active fund a lot of these guys are now wrapping their uh, their strategies as active ETFs, and that's something which is pretty new. It's only kind of really come up in the last kind of uh, year in Europe. Uh, the SEC over in the US just approved non-transparent active uh, ETFs last year. So this is probably the kind of next next kind of wave of innovation is being able to kind of buy high quality active strategies as an ETF in the same way as you would be able to buy, you know, a share or 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 a, or a regular ETF. Is that the same as, say, buying an investment trust? Because obviously investment trusts have been around as listed vehicles in the UK for quite a long time. And quite a few of the bigger fund managers have investment trusts on the market. It sounds like this is um, an ETF is like a, a way for an active manager to offer a strategy potentially at a, a lower price point to investors um, who then don't have to go through the whole palaver they might need to go through to invest in, say, a unit trust. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some of that. But, uh, you know, I think what you're going to get is the advantages of the ETF structure, which are uh, intraday tradability. So you can buy in and out uh, throughout the trading day. So potentially, if you wanted to, you can buy a 8.30 in the morning and you can sell out again at two o'clock in the afternoon, right? And that's really one of the kind of powerful things about ETFs and why they kind of appeal to uh, day traders in particular, because uh, you can get that kind of market exposure for a short term if you want. You can also use them to buy and hold if if you want, you know, for a longer period. So, yeah, I think unit trusts are a pretty kind of dated concept uh, these days. But I, I think you know your point is valid it's 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 a distribution mechanism for uh for a fund manager which is very very efficient once you put that product on exchange anybody can touch it through uh through their advisor or through their broker or through their kind of uh, online platform however they want to access that particular market or that particular strategy and can you can you say a little bit more about how ETFs actually invest in the market how they how they're able to connect to the underlying asset class whatever it is they they happen to be tracking um, some people who already have know a little bit about ETS will, will hear about tracking error and things like that how, how does that work in practice and, and what's the real sort of um, what's the real task for the for the ETF manager there because it's it's more than just 
I go buy, you know, a hundred stocks and, and replicate the FTSE. There's a little bit more uh, science underneath the hood there. There is. I mean, that, that's true. We'll use FTSE 100 because it, A, it's a nice round number and uh, probably familiar with that. So in an, in, in an ETF, the actual issuer isn't really responsible for the, the trading of the securities. They're, they're ultimately a sales and marketing vehicle. I kind of want to kind of get away from jargon a little bit here. So the company they work with, uh, these are the kind of factory that produces the ETFs. They go out into the public markets, buy the ingredients, you know, buy the constituents in the right proportions. They package them up as ETFs and then they can be sold back to investors on exchange. And this is a really important process. So that's called a create process. You're creating an ETF unit. The point about that is, is that ETFs provide the same liquidity to investors as the underlying market that they're tracking. So in the case of something like the FTSE 100, S&P, Eurostox, super liquid markets, tons of trading activity, tons of market participants buying and selling all day. Price discovery is really easy. And if people need to create more ETF units because there's a high demand, they can easily go in there, buy the stocks, package them up, and sell them back in as a, a, a as an ETF. The flip side of that is also true. If the uh, if the demand falls, the authorized participant can take that ETF unit, unbundle it into the underlying uh, securities, and sell them back into the marketplace. So there's a there is a direct connection between the majority of ETFs and the underlying asset class. And that's true whether it's a major index like the FTSE 100 um, or an emerging market product or a particular sector product. It's probably worth mentioning there is a different type of ETF, and this is called a synthetic ETF. This is um, structured a little bit differently. So any investors out there should be you know, conscious that while the majority of ETFs own the specific securities that they they tell you. Some markets don't function as efficiently. So you can think about some portions of the bond markets are not very liquid. Some portions of emerging markets or frontier markets aren't that liquid. And they may not be able to kind of buy the shares or the securities that they need. There might be foreign ownership restrictions, for example. So in that case, in a synthetic ETF, the issuer will work with a counterparty, normally a bank, and the bank will write a swap, which will provide a kind of equivalent return pattern to to the index. They are the, you know, that happens a little bit less frequently, and it tends to happen in markets where there are kind of difficulties in accessing the entire basket of securities in a, in a cost efficient way. Those are the two main types of ETFs. I mean, you mentioned tracking error. So an index is a is a basically a data point, right? The FTSE 100 is calculated by London Stock Exchange. It's purely a data point, reference point. It doesn't reflect trading costs. You know, there is a cost to going out there and buying those 100 securities. And that is where tracking error kind of comes into play. So because the index uh, doesn't really reflect the real world of buying and selling those securities, uh, the ETF will inevitably have a small divergence from uh, that index, and that's what's known as tracking error. Smart ETF managers know how to manage that and can really push tracking error down 
to a very very low level so it really doesn't uh, impact investors too heavily but tracking error is certainly something to uh, have a look at because some providers are are, are uh, better than others at managing that, that kind you, of risk. I mean, you at Track Insight, you guys are obviously spending a lot of your time following the entire universe or as much as possible um, around the world of ETFs. As you said, there's now thousands of them out there, and um, when somebody goes online and they check, you know, they they let's say they take a view on a particular market. In some markets, there may only be you know, one or two ETFs to choose from. Um, if it's a particular theme, they might be almost unique. But in others, let's say, you know, as we mentioned, FTSE 100, the S&P 500, even London listed ETFs, there are quite a few um, that uh, you get to choose from, although they have, obviously, the fees are a factor, but these days the fees are becoming really competitive um, and, and they're getting cheaper and cheaper all the time. If we look at ETF managers, how do they compete? Because you know, S and P five hundred is S and P five hundred. What's the when when investors are looking at ETFs? What are the other characteristics they can use to to judge an ETF by? Because the the fees are the fee difference can be negligible. And then really, it seems as if you're looking at uh, the size of the fund or, or whether you like the particular brand. It's it, it seems like there's less to decide about compared with say evaluating an investment trust or a unit trust yeah i mean definitely i mean look there are some portions of the market which are just so super competitive there you know you're really putting a cigarette paper between the different offerings um it isn't really that much to, to choose from as, as as you say and when you're talking about an etf that might be seven basis points or one that might be nine basis points a year obviously there is a small cost difference there but it's not going to be it's not going to be the biggest thing in the world uh, tracking error is one of those things you you might want to look at. Um, you might have a preference on the particular provider, but ultimately, you know, an apple is an apple, and the FTSE 100 is the FTSE 100, regardless of kind of where you're uh, where you're buying from. I think that probably the, the the difference comes in more of the kind of esoteric um, areas, uh, or where there are different approaches to a particular theme. So. If we kind of move away from the kind of FTSE 100 conversation and think about, let's say, technology, right? People might want to buy the technology sector, especially this year has performed, you know, really well, right? There, there can be loads of different ways you can do that. You can buy a technology through ETFs as a global theme. So you're getting exposure to tech companies in US, Europe, Asia, elsewhere. You could do things which are specific to a particular country. Uh, so US technology or European technology only. You might want to go for a size kind of bias, so large cap companies. Uh, you might want to go for smaller startups, maybe more kind of innovative, disruptive technology providers. That's probably where the differences <clears throat> come in, and that's where a little bit more kind of research is needed. That's kind of what Track Insight is all about, is helping people kind of navigate those, uh, those selection choices and understand the differences. So I think technology is an interesting example there because there are, you know, there are so many different ways you could buy exposure to that sector. They have different characteristics. They for sure have different costs. They certainly have different liquidity profiles, depending on whether you're buying large cap US tech versus maybe emerging market uh, uh, technology. So I think that is where there is a little bit more room for differentiation between products. Cost isn't everything, right? Ultimately, you're trying to buy an exposure, the right exposure for you to get what you need out of that depending on whether you're 
you know, depending on kind of your investment horizon, your risk tolerance, etc. So those that's where I would highlight to to listeners to spend a little bit more time looking at the index that they're tracking and understanding what that uh, what that contains um, and what kind of ultimately you're buying. You mentioned earlier that uh, unlike uh, conventional um, unit trusts or mutual funds, which have a end of day um, NAV calculated, um, obviously the ETF is trading all day long. So its price is, tra- is, is changing as well. What, how do the managers um, how do the managers calculate or how are they able to calculate a sort of rolling NAV on that basis? There's actually not the managers who calculate that. Um, there's a on every exchange, you've got a load of broking companies which are called market makers. They're the ones who are setting the price just as they would do for a particular share. So they're looking at they're looking at the market kind of dynamics. They're looking at supply and demand and they're pricing that dynamically throughout the day. And that's exactly the same way as it happens with an ETF. So uh, you'll have multiple companies, multiple market makers, all of whom are trying to compete for business. And they're all pricing ETFs as as tightly as they can to try and try and win that business. Um, when you go through your broker, they'll pass that trade on. Uh, into the, into the market makers, they'll find the one who's offering them the best price, and they'll execute the trade with them. So yes, they price dynamically with the with the underlying basket of securities. There's competition for business, which means the spreads tend to be quite uh, quite tight. Really, it's not to do with the ETF manager so much as it is to do with the kind of aggregate kind of opinions of the market and 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 that on exchange uh, competition and is it i mean if looking again looking at unit trust because a lot of people in the uk are obviously used to that as an investment vehicle um a lot of them traditionally had relatively high minimum investments i mean i remember when i was working at ft it was standard for them to have somewhere between three to five thousand pounds you know minimum just to get into the fund i guess the appeal for etfs um certainly my experience with them has been that you can get into an ETF at a much lower minimum price point than that. Uh, is, is it? Have you come across any ETFs that have high minimum deal sizes, or are they just literally just like shares in that someone could buy a hundred pounds of a, a specific ETF? I haven't seen. I can't. I can't think of any ETFs that have very very high entry points like that. Um, typically, what you're buying is one unit of an ETF or one one share of an ETF. That's your minimum, right? That will vary slightly from fund to fund, depending on, on, on what the exposure is. But, you know, you're talking maybe in the tens of pounds in order to kind of get it, in order to kind of buy in. This is why ETFs are really often described as democratic investment products is because they've got that liquidity that allows a really big institution to dump a hundred million dollar plus trades in if they want to. But they've also got that low entry point that allows the retail guys, the man on the street, to kind of come in with a few hundred pounds and start getting exposure to hundreds or potentially thousands of securities through that ETF. So they're very, very low entry points. Um, You don't have that high management fee. You tend not to have any kind of penalties for selling out, which you often do with um, with a traditional structure. So they've been massively disruptive to the old school, you know, old guard uh, asset management industry because of that. People don't want to pay fees to uh, to to asset managers. Let's face it, right? They'd rather have that money back in their pocket and uh, 
and ETS are kind of helping them to to do that in in a really it's a it's a it's a it's a magnitude scale in, in the way they've managed to drive the cost down. And they're also offering, I mean, I've, I've seen ETFs, or I think they call them ETCs, um, that offer exposure to, say, commodity markets, which was not something that was easy to do other, other than obviously opening up a, something like a CFD trading account. So it was, it's possible to, for example, buy an ETF that has direct exposure to gold bullion, so rather than a basket of gold miners which used to be the way of <laughs> getting exposure yeah that's right i mean um again again i mean listeners can can do a little bit of research on this i mean etcs are very very much like etfs but they either track uh, commodities or, or currencies um so you can trade those markets you know as well and, you, and you're right you know tr- um, hit, hitting a commodity trade in the past wasn't easy you were either buying kind of proxy stocks and gold miners don't behave like gold um so you know it's it's maybe not a great it's not re- maybe not a great way to buy buy exposure to the gold market or you could trade leverage like cfds or you could if you're particularly adventurous you could you could do uh, you know you could do a futures trade but now you can buy not just gold and silver and platinum, but uh, industrial metals, agricultural commodities, and a whole raft of different currencies through through the kind of ETC structure, in exactly the same way as you do an ETF or or or, uh, or a regular security. So it's it's enabled people to build diversified portfolios very very easily. If you're a day trader, if you're more active, um, if you like the action very very interesting way to um to get exposure to those markets and yeah in some cases you you actually own the underlying uh commodity um you do need to do your homework and have a look and read the paperwork on the individual funds um but a lot of a lot of gold etcs and silver etcs particularly you actually own a um a portion of a gold bar um at the at the end of the day so so that's been very useful and this year, particularly, we've seen gigantic flows into gold ETFs. Um, I think there's about three and a half thousand tons of gold, which is now owned through gold ETFs, which is which is pretty un- pretty unbelievable when you think about it. Um, so yeah, they've become a real force for um, uh, for market access in that way. As far as ETFs are concerned, in the U.S. market, is a really large and, and diverse marketplace with thousands to choose from and the americans are very uh if you look on some of the u.s websites they're very savvy about you know uh etf based strategies and and just which etfs to choose and uh everything looks a lot more uh, sophisticated when you're looking at a menu of u.s listed etfs whereas there haven't been as many here and and uh that that's obviously changing uh but uh why what do you think's been holding things back in europe why aren't there as many private investors involved or why has it been more just the the larger institutional investors yeah i'm not sure i kind of completely agree with that question i mean first of all america's one country and 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 europe isn't it's we you know we've got a quite diverse range of investment cultures across across the continent here the us got there first you know i think that's one reason why they're a little bit ahead um you know the first etfs were invented out there we didn't get them here in europe until a number of years later so um there is a you know there is that little bit of catch up uh, which is natural there i would also look at the in general investment culture 
you know, in the US, you don't have a social security net in the same way you do in most European countries. Um, people are generally not so real estate orientated um, in terms of investing. And so the individual tends to have a lot more kind of interest in the day-to-day -day movements of the S&P 500 and of their domestic marketplace yeah. um, because it really impacts the way that they're they're saving for their retirement. It impacts yeah. their uh, their pension plans and they need to take personal ownership of, of a lot of that. We don't necessarily have that in a lot of European countries. You know, people tend to put most of their money into property. Um, people tend to um, have pensions which are, um, you know, managed exter externally. So there is a different, uh, there is a bit of a different culture there. Now that said, I mean, it does vary from, from country to country within Europe and it certainly is changing, you know, and there's a lot of people who are very engaged in the markets and they do want to take ownership of their own, of their own investment fate. So, I think Europe's doing, you know, doing very healthily, actually. Um, we are about a quarter of the size of the US uh, ETF market. But, you know, that means there's a lot of upside potential. We have a lot more population across Europe than we do in the, than there is in the US. If people get motivated and people get educated a little bit more about how they can use these products, then we're seeing a lot of uptake. We're also seeing uptake along uh, along kind of generational lines. I mean, you know, you've spoken a bit about unit trusts and I've kind of poo-pooed them as kind of like old, you know, last generation products. And I, I think I'm right in doing that. But it's the younger investors who are really gravitating towards ETFs. They're, you know, they're trading through their iPhones, they're trading through apps, they're using robo-advisors. And often behind that, they're trading ETFs because, they're easy to understand, they're low cost, and they do what they say on the tin. And I, and I think, you know, we're seeing massive growth. Let me give you a couple of examples. So this year, you know, obviously been a bit of a weird year in, in the world with, with COVID and, and everything else going on. But ETFs have really grown tremendously. In North America, we've seen over a quarter of a trillion new dollars flow into the ETF market. And it's a staggering amount of money. In Europe, we've seen about 70 billion of new assets flowing into ETFs. And of course, the, the, the region we haven't really spoken about too much is Asia Pacific, and that they are, you know, they are the ones who are playing catch up on a global level. But even then, we've seen over $40 billion worth of new assets invested into ETFs. So despite all the kind of chaos in the world, these seem to be the products where people are comfortable putting their money for the reasons we've, we've previously discussed. From a perspective of markets, how important are ETFs becoming in terms of actually some of them getting big enough to move markets on their own? Um, you know, we obviously see from a trading perspective, some stocks will change if they get dropped out of an index. And that that almost seems like it's getting more pronounced because the index trackers obviously have to replicate the index. And when new stocks move into an index, all of a sudden all this new money pours into them. But beyond that, um, certainly in the States, you get some of the commentators on um, CNBC and Bloomberg talking about the activity of ETFs in a way that they used to talk about the activity of hedge funds in the market because 
ETFs are just more important players um, than than the hedge funds have been. So do you think that that's a factor, and that as the market gets bigger, it's just going to be more the, the just the ETF sector as a whole is going to be more influential about um, the direction of markets? You know, the research says no. If you look at ETFs in general, there's about mm-hmm. six and a half or seven trillion dollars of assets globally. If you look at the global market capitalization i mean it's a drop in the ocean um it's you know it's really nothing so the idea that the idea that etfs can really move markets doesn't really seem to have been substantiated um they're there to reflect market activity not uh, not move it i mean your point about indexes is well taken but the majority of um, index tracking assets are still held in traditional mutual fund structures through very very large institutions Uh, and again they really dwarf the size of the etf markets so the idea that they uh, certainly index rebalances have the potential to impact stock prices um, which are which are part of that index but that's because of gigantic institutional asset flows that, that that move around that Traditionally, this market was dominated um, by some very large players. Um, as you've mentioned, Vanguard already, um, iShares is, is a big brand in the space, and they are still extremely dominant. But um, it does seem to me that we are starting to see some smaller uh, players coming into the market with more specialist products. You've already mentioned thematic um, ETFs. There are also ETFs with, there are, there are single stock ETFs um, with which bring a degree of leverage to the movement in the price. Do, do you think that's something we're going to see a lot more of as we go through the next 12 to 18 months with more imaginative offerings coming from uh, smaller names in the market? Well, yes, yeah, Stuart. I think that's a. I think that's a good point. the The big guys are big for a reason. They've been there, in many cases, since the start of the of the industry. Um, they've had a lot of time to acquire assets, and they've done a great job in providing the core exposures that that people want to own. But beyond that, there's a whole load of new ideas that are coming from all parts of the world and all kinds of different places, and whether they're coming from ETF issuers or traditional active managers uh, or traditional fund managers or just entrepreneurs with a good idea, a lot of people can now launch those ideas as, as ETFs and, and, and provide them uh, up for grabs for investors. So we've seen you know, some interesting things happen this year. You mentioned marijuana. That's probably a controversial one. It's maybe one that some of the more larger players don't want to touch for political reasons but there's in you know invested demand for that kind of uh, that kind of exposure similarly i think we've seen cryptocurrencies and and bitcoin for example being being packaged up as uh, as etfs and again there may be reasons why companies wouldn't want to be in that marketplace but some others would so really it's a it's an open playing field people with an idea can launch it as an etf they can throw it out there and see if it, if it meets uh, meets investors' requirements and gets any interest. So I think there's going to be, you know, we're going to continue to see that trend of more products coming. Not all of them are going to, not all of them are going to win. Not all of them are going to succeed and not all of them are going to be around in a couple of years. But that's the kind of Darwinistic kind of nature of, uh, of business. Um, and it applies here as much as anywhere else. But I think the point is, 
without that kind of spirit of entrepreneurship and without that creativity and etfs are really a creative um marketplace and you're seeing some really funky ideas being brought out there you know i've seen pet care etfs um you you can buy emerging market uh internet um stocks you can you know if you can think of a theme there's probably an etf out there for it um I'm not making any kind of recommendations on performance. I'm just trying to suggest that, you know, that, you know, you can really be, be very broad or very granular, um, you know, as as you wish. So I think that's healthy, right? The more people who are part of the market, the more competition there is. Ultimately, that's good for investors. It helps lower costs. Uh, it helps give more choice. It helps keep everybody uh, on their toes. And uh, this is this is why we're viewed as the the future of investing is because we're providing these previously unheard of um, ideas um, and and you can buy them, as I said before, as easily as a share in a single trade. Well, that's fantastic, Simon. Thanks. Thanks very much for that. Um, We're obviously going to be continuing to cover ETFs and uh, your your insights from Track Insight will also be very useful in in those terms but um uh, we look forward to having you back on in the very near future for for some more discussions around what is obviously going to become a much more important area of the investment industry in the near future appreciate you having me on Stuart. and uh, for the listeners if you're interested um if you'd like to know a little bit more around etfs obviously armchair traders are a great place also suggest you take a look at trackinsight.com we cover uh, all of the ETFs that are listed worldwide. And um, we have a number of kind of interesting tools on there which will help you kind of search and screen and, and get into those products in uh, in a more kind of substantial way. So appreciate you inviting me on. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Simon. Well, thank you very much indeed for listening to the Armchair Trader podcast and uh, make sure you subscribe in order to hear further uh, interviews and commentary with market participants in the world of trading and investment.